Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. And we have a great show for you today. And Ivy Shepard, a great producer, is certainly helping me with it today. And, you know, all of us are going to die one of these days, and we're going to attend a funeral. So I attended my brother Billy's funeral several days ago, and it was a very unique funeral in that it was in many ways a happy funeral. And I actually had people come up to me after the funeral, and I spoke the eulogy saying this was the best funeral I've ever been to, and I'd like to have you help conduct mine. And I thought that was quite a compliment. So, But it was held... I want to tell you about this funeral, and this is, you know, we're archived in the Southern Folklife Collection down at Chapel Hill, and I will tell you, he was folklife writ large, so that's one of the reasons that I want to share a bit about William Bill B. McCarthy, or as I call him, Brother Billy today, and his funeral was held uh, several days ago, as I said, with the senior pastor, College Park Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So what I'm going to do today, because several, I had a number of people say that was such a great eulogy, and actually what it was, it was personal and sincere. So we're going to play a little bit of that, and then we're going to listen to his favorite singer, Kenny Rogers, today. And so Ivy is producing this, and without her, I couldn't do, couldn't do any of it. And I'm going to read you just a little bit of what was said about him in the newspaper. William Bill McCarthy was born on August 20th, 1934, in Bakersfield, North Carolina. He passed away on August 14th, 2022, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He is survived by his daughter, Jessie Rosemary McCarthy, son-in-law, Roberta Rolston, and granddaughter, Rosetta Pearl Rolston of Bethania. He is also survived by sisters Rose Crafton and Edna John Blevins and brothers John McCarthy and Henry Patty McCarthy. Many beloved nieces, nephews, and extended family members. In addition to his parents, Bill was preceded in death by his cherished friend and mother of Rosemary, Mary Agnes McCarthy. Bill grew up in Bakersville, North Carolina, in Johnson City, Tennessee, exploring the mountain settings he adored. He was an ardent lover of literature, history, dancing, and music. And so he went to East Tennessee State. He went into the U.S. Air Force in 1954. And here's what was said about him. A genuine soul who left an unforgettable impression on everyone he met. Bill also possessed a sharp wit and an incredible sense of humor. The phrase, he never met a stranger, was never more aptly applied than to Bill. He was a lover of the arts and an enthusiastic attender of music and dance performances, and he was also a proud VFW member. His granddaughter, Rosetta, was the great joy in his life. And then they quote, Bill was a shining example of strength and courage for his family and friends. William Wordsworth wrote, The best portion of a good man's life is his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. Bill and his countless acts of kindness will live in perpetuity. Okay, now, Ivy, if we can put on this eulogy, I would love to have you hear it, and I thank you for listening. We'll move, to, move into some Kenny Rogers. Good Reverend, he's, he has already summarized a lot of my feelings about Brother Billy, and I thank you so much. We've done this before with Mary Agnes, and he had said one time, I said, now, if I get carried away up here, you just get to hook. And he said, don't worry about it. I used to follow 
Jerry Clowers on radio in Mississippi. And if you, some of you don't remember Jerry, but Jerry was a great comedian, and I love his material. So thank you so much. I'll try to not to take more than a couple of hours, but uh, you know, I've done this before and given talks in many places. And I was at the um, coffee shop this morning trying to summarize Brother Billy's life. <laughs> and, and it just goes in so many directions. And so I'm going to deal with this uh, with symbols, as well as talk about some of the folks that are here in our family that are here today. And then certainly we want you to come up, if you will, and say a few words about uh, Brother Billy or Wild Bill. Now, we did have another Wild Bill. My brother-in-law was Wild Bill, too. So we had two Wild Bills. But um, we were from the Rhone, and we were from the mountains. And the way we got here was in an old 52, wasn't old at the time, white Ford pickup truck. And Sister Rose, there's Rose and Billy and Johnny and Edna. Rose, we followed her down here. And one of the things I remember about that white Ford pickup truck, because we came out of the mountains by way of Johnson City, was I believe that Brother Billy had the hot wire the truck to get it started to get here. But we did all right. And I want to take a moment to thank Rosemary, Roberta, and Rosetta. You guys are just great. You really are. And you have dignified and you have given such meaning to Brother Billy's life. And I know that he's given meaning to you. And as I look around, I think also, I think of Rose, and I think of Billy, and I think of Johnny, and I think of Edna, and I say thank you. Thank you for affirming me as your little brother and the things that I was able to do because of what you all did and the way that you affirm me. I thank you. We have our children here today. We have. Uh, we have their spouses, and let's see, Rose had Beverly and Bobby and Kevin, and then Billy had Rosemary, and then Johnny, Jennifer, and then we have Edna with Jason and Timmy, and then we have Hank, or we have Kara, Hank, and Megan. And all, so, God love us all. It's been a great family. And I'm going to mention, I started with the Rhone, and I want to talk about apples briefly. Because so much of where our mother came from, now our mother was Pearl Honeycutt McCarthy. We were McCarthy's. The way we got to be McCarthy's, what our father, who was Boston Irish, met my mom at a train station in Johnson City, Tennessee. So we wound up with the last name McCarthy's. Can you imagine living up around Roan Mountain, over from Mount Mitchell, in the mountains, and having a last name 
uh, by McCarthy, that will make you tough, I will tell you that. <laughs> because if we had up there, my mother was from Tribal, and it was Honeycutts, Buchanan's, and Mosley's. So when you went to the first grade, they said, you're a foreigner, we're gonna beat you up. And I said, no, I'm a Honeycutt. And they said, leave him alone. That's a tough range. When I think of the mountains there that we came out of, apples was a big part of, was a big part of our life. And there were Virginia Beauties, Wolf Rivers, Golden Delicious Rose, the June Apple, and the yellow transparent, just among a few. And that was the lifeblood from those orchards that our uncle, Law, or Loy, had planted. I went back not too long ago, up that road into Bakersville and Beulah Dean and up the road there, and I went down behind the barn, and of course all that land's been sold, and Florida people are there building A-frames, and I saw that yellow transparent tree back behind the barn, and it was full. And when I was small, it was about this big around, and it was this big around. So it was full of green apples, because they don't come in until August. And I picked one or two, and I brought it down to Brother Billy. And I also went over to the old house, which has been burned down. The spring house is still there. And I got a little stone from the steps, and I brought it to him. And he was very pleased, and I think he got so excited. And he'd been down on his back, and he followed us up the stairs. That's Wild Bill. So those apples were a part of our life. And then I think of, I think of uh, the movie Cinderella. You know, back in the day, you had black and white movies. We didn't have a TV. And my God, we never heard of computers, excuse me, my gosh. And um, so he decided one day he could do these small things. And you just hit that great. Was that by uh, Wordsworth? and just the small things that he could do. Now, don't get me wrong, he could be quite wild, as we know, but he could take time to zero in on the person and do something small for them. So one day he said, he, and he had this gift of making things out of wood and made me a kite and so on, he said, I'm gonna take you to a movie. And uh, I'd never been to a color movie, and he said, I'm gonna take you to see Cinderella. And we saw Cinderella and that was one of the most amazing, amazing things that I had seen at about eight years of age and, or seven. And then I think of also on about him in the mountains, and I'll get back to that, the case knife. You know, in the mountains, you know, your computer now is your lifeblood. But in the mountains, the case knife, as you know, that's it, that was your lifeblood. And that's, if you had a good knife and you knew how to peel apples with it and so many other things. Uh, and so he always had a good case knife, knife and I have one that he gave me not too long ago, but it's not a case, but that's okay. I also think of uh, a textbook. We didn't have, there on Lincoln Street, we didn't have many books. I mean, they were costly. But now we were always intrigued. And our dad being from, uh, the North had gone to old Horace Mann School. He, my dad was, our dad was born in 1888. So he was 20 years older than our mom. And uh, so we, but if we had a book and then paper was so hard to come by. And so if they wrote an excuse for you, they would tear a piece off a poke 
and uh, write that excuse. But there was a book there. He had gone to East Tennessee State for a while before he went in service. And that was that anthology that you have your sophomore year. And I found that because I had scarlet fever. And God loved my father, who was legally blind. I was in the third grade, and I stayed on for six weeks. Can you imagine me being in that house in Johnson City for six weeks with not much to do? I glued all the checkers together, for one thing, just to have something to do because I thought it made a good wagon. I put them on a thimble, you know, from spools. I took the checkers, put them on a thim thimble, and had a great wagon. And then Dad, who was legally blind, would play, you know, by touch. And lo and behold, he said, where are the checkers? Well, they were not available. And, uh, and uh, that became a topic of conversation. But they made me, but I had to read. because there was no, And I found this anthology. And I think of him because that was his college text. And that's when I read Huckleberry Finn at, in the third grade. Now, don't get me wrong. Before the third grade, I could not read or write a lick. But at that stage, by staying home, listening to the radio, and delving into Huck Finn. So anyway, another symbol was a blue motor scooter. You know, he went in the military. So lo and behold, we're live, we, came, we, we came out of Walltown. Now people run locked doors when you say Walltown. But anyway, we moved over there. And uh, lo and behold, we get this huge crate in the mail. And we open it, and it's a blue Vespa motor scooter not in the best shape, without a, without a muffler. And he had had it in Miami, in the military, and used it for transportation, so he wanted me to have it. And guess what? We got that thing started, my brother Johnny and myself, we rode that everywhere, to Myrtle Beach. We, mo we rode it to the mountains, you know, and my goodness, it would tear up, because, and if you know the Vespa, later we traveled to Paris, I think it was, or Italy, Patty, coming out of Switzerland, and I saw all these blue Vespas. Of course, they were newer and better shape, but that, that was something that he was so sensitive that he did that for me. Guess what I took to college? What was my transportation? Was the blue motor scooter. And I'd stop off of, in the farms up 421 if it tore up, and you know, you'd get under the table, sit by the table with the old farmers, and they would store your blue motor scooter. So that's, a, that's another symbol that I think of. And uh, there's so many things that I could go on about, but I, I want to give you time. And I want to just mention, um, you know, technology is amazing. And so Brother Billy would come to visit you whether you wanted him to or not, he's going to show up. Well, let me tell you, and I'm not going to tell all these stories, Rosemary, because you're a saint, all of you. <laughs> you know, and we went different paths. I, you know, our mother had a third grade education. I was through the affirmation of my siblings, got a college degree and a doctorate, and Patty and I, we were professors at Appalachian State. So anyway, but I didn't always have time to answer his messages. And he could show up anytime because, and he also told me, I have to share this. He, he went back up in the mountains, up around the Rhone, Bakersville, Spruceville, Dean, and he called me and said, the people up there weren't very friendly, Henry. He said, well, I went back to the old home place and all, and none of them were friendly. I said, that's because they're from Florida, Billy. <laughs> He was still searching. 
Still searching. My God. So he starts sending me these texts, and he leaves me these messages. And one of them was about two or three weeks ago. In a very, very calm, uh, very lucid, and he'd always sign off Brother Billy, because I know he was Bill as a father, and William Brownwell McCarthy, and there's a long story about that, to others, but he was Brother Billy to me. Now this is the power of positive thinking, and I, I want you to think about this and what you deal with in life. The message is, and I ran across it last night, I'm listening to his messages, and he said, boy, he said, Rosemary, Roberta, and Rosetta said, they've just been so great to me. And he said, they, they're back from New York and so on. He told me that in the previous message and how well he was doing. And he said, I'm moving to hospice. And he said, you know, Henry said, they say the food is great there. Think about that. He said, now, you know that meal's on wheels, nothing against that, but he said that wasn't the best but said they got me in hospice, and the nurse says that that's, that food there is so good that uh, she gets it at the same grocery store where they shop. Folks, think about that. That was the last message I actually got from him. So, Billy, Brother Billy, he had two, this is so interesting to me. I've studied poetry, I have a radio show. I'm, I'm a legend in my own mind, nobody else believes me. But it's called Poets and Writers. And he would call me up and leave me a message. And he was always trying to find it. It's an NPR affiliate. He said, I've been trying to find it. But you know that poem, such and such. And the one by Patty uh, Lewis Utemeyer Swimmers. Lewis Utemeyer was a really fine poet and was also um, published and was uh, associated with Robert Frost. And that's how I knew him. And I said, oh, so I looked at, he said, it's my favorite poem. He said, Dad used to give me a quarter to go down to the swimming pool and I would swim. And I wish I could quote some of it before, but it's the swimmers. And it ends in essence by saying there's tragedy in life there's goodness in life. And now the ending is, I'm taking a vacation with death. And then the last poem that he loved so much was Stevenson's. And he did say in passing, when he knew he was dying of stomach cancer, he said, Henry, he said, I'm dying. Home is the sailor, home from the sea, and home is the hunter home from the hill. And he just put that right out there to me. So I think we, we can certainly celebrate his life today. And I will end with my talk of the discussion of apples. And I would challenge you, it's becoming fall. Now, you know, you can go to the grocery store and you pick up those little plastic pitiful bags of apples. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you taste them and they're tasteless. So as we get journey toward the fall, we, and we would take the pickup truck, the old white Ford, and we would put those apples in and we would take them to Johnson City and we would go down the street selling those apples. So what I would ask you to do, 
as the fall comes, the apples come in, find you an apple tree somewhere along a gravel road or your neighbor's yard, <laughs> pick that apple and sit down and just taste it. And Brother Billy will be there with you. So I say this to you, Brother Billy, be free, carry on, keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. And please switch some of them. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness till boredom overtook us. And he began to speak. He said, son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces and knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind my saying, I can see you're out of aces for a taste of your whiskey. I'll give you some advice. So I handed him my bottle and he drank down my last swallow. Then he bombed a cigarette and asked me for a light. And the night got deathly quiet and his face lost all expression. Said, if you're gonna play the game, boy, you gotta learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away knowing what to keep cause every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser and the best that you can hope for die in your sleep and when he finished speaking he turned back toward the window crushed out his cigarette faded off to sleep and somewhere in the darkness the gambler he broke even but in his final words I found an ace that I could keep you got to know when to hold him know when to fold him walk away and know when to run you never count your money when you're sitting at the table there'll be time enough to count when the deal is done you got to know when to hold them. when the hold know when to fold them know when to walk away and know when to run you never count your money when you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the dealing's done, you got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the deal is done.
That was the gambler, Kenny Rogers, and you're listening to Poets and Writers today, and I've been talking about my brother Billy and the eulogy I gave for him a few days ago, and so we want to continue with another song of Kenny Rogers, and I believe that one's Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town. Well, I don't know about that, Henry. You know, when you've been telling me about Brother Billy as we record this show, it seems like maybe this might be a little bit more fitting number. Don't fall in love with a dreamer. That was another one of Brother Billy's uh, favorite songs, but it's been an honor sharing his life with you a little bit today, and I want to thank all of you for listening to Poets and Writers and uh, WEHC 90.7. Don't wait up for me. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thank you for listening. Just look at you Sitting there You never looked better than tonight And it'd be so easy Tell you I'd stay Like I've done so many times I was so sure This would be the night You closed the door And wanted to stay with me And it'd be so easy To tell you I'd stay like I've done so many times Don't fall in love with a dreamer Cause he'll always take you in Just when you think you've really changed him He'll You just gotta leave before you change your mind And if you knew what I was thinking, girl I'd turn around If you'd just ask me 